I just love this scripture. I love this scripture because we get front row seats to an extreme soul makeover of one of the movers and shakers of the Christian movement. Saul, who later renames himself Paul, to actually uh, recognize this great transformation, transforms before our very eyes in today's episode. And what's the transformation? It is the great movement from one full of judgment to one full of compassion. We get to see the crew. The Holy Spirit brings in a crew of one. Ananias comes in, and in three days, in less than three days, everything Saul thought he understood is tore down, bulldozed over. The very thing that he thought he knew most about the God was torn away. You see, Saul had become one who had studied intently his faith. As a matter of fact, he got to studying it so much and, so, and had so much conviction about getting it right and being right that he lost his focus. And before long, he had boxed himself into a tiny little house. And the walls had become so thick that he had no light. It was very dark. But one named Ananias questioned God enough to feel free enough to approach him and with great compassion, calling him brother, as he was able to breathe murderous threats upon him, called him brother, and that touch of compassion was the very thing, the tool that God used to help transform Saul to one of compassion. I also love this scripture because it shows us a God who will go to great, very dramatic lengths to get our attention, to grab our attention and take us to the wreckage of our life. And very gently, in compassionate way. Compassion means to suffer with. God literally suffers with us as we look upon our life. And those areas of pain that are there because we've yet to investigate them and look at the interior of our soul. God sits with us, bears with us, until we can transform that ash to beauty, the rubble into something beautiful, full of light, Saul's story is our story. And today's great transformation, soul transformation, is the movement of judgment to compassion, the very rite of passage into the heartbeat of God. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, indeed, we are here and we've made ourselves available to you. And so we just ask that you would be very gentle and come and sit among us and shine a little light onto the dark places and help us truly see. Bring a fresh word to us this day. And God, I would ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our two scripture reading, our two readings today were very uh, powerful and they really showed us that blood and gut consequence of judgment. I mean, it's really easy to see in these two readings, the excerpt from Toni Morrison's work, The Bluest Eye, where we hear that in our judgment of each other, we court death in order to call ourselves brave. The story is one of tragedy for the main character, Pecola, the little black girl who longs to have blue eyes, ultimately goes insane when she cannot attain the beauty 
that we have held up for her as ideal. And in the story of Saul, we see that his judgment takes him to a place where he's breathing threats and murder. He's literally going from house to house and persecuting. He's throwing people in prison or worse, having them executed because they have become followers of Christ. How, how does this happen to us? How do we get to such places full of hate and blindness? How do we get to a place so removed from reason? How does something as simple as judgment about the color and the beauty of blue eyes drive us to places of insanity? And how do we make a religious practice that indeed guides our life to make good judgment about right or wrong for ourselves becomes the death sentence for those around us? I think the answer is actually in the question. It's in the ability to question. For you see, once we decide we have an answer, we make that answer and we call it judgment. We make a judgment and we literally drop the gavel down and we remove ourselves from any new information. Decisions made, answers there. And once we hold to an absolute answer with such fortitude, we block ourselves off from any ability to continue in any kind of dialogue, any real dialogue. So it becomes like a wall or a guard that we put up. And I gotta tell you, this is just human nature. It's one of the ways that we navigate our world around us. We are control freaks, and so we just kinda generally want to know what's going on around us, and so we make quick assessments and we navigate our world. This is just part of the human condition. As I studied more about judgment this week, I discovered the enemy and she was me. <laughs> it was not so pretty. So judgment is just something that we do. Uh, and, but the, there is a, a way that it can become our worst enemy. And it really is about the fact that we put these walls up that no one can get through. It's when we really attach ourselves to absolute answers or we just uh, cling to this need to be right. And when we do that, we put ourselves on a little ledge of our rightness, and then we will literally fight off and defend off anything that tries to knock us off of our little safe ledge because we're so afraid and uncomfortable with the unknown, with the question. With the question. This is just part of this crazy house of card illusion that we create. And in Paul's situation where he does this, he creates such a strong wall that no one can get through. The uh, judgment that we have here and the results of edging people out is pretty easy to see. We really notice it in other people. Don't you just hate it when you're around a know-it-all? I mean, you just literally cannot get yourself to be around a know-it-all. And so you, you do all kinds of things to avoid that. But we really lose sight of the fact because we're so insistent to be right that we lose the fact that we're pushing people out. Reverend uh, er Elder, our moderator, Nancy Wilson, was with us early this year and she preached a little sermon and she had a tagline in her sermon that I think sums all of this up. She said, you can either be right or in relationship. <laughs> it's so very true. <laughs> I practice this one every day in my household. <laughs> mm. 
You can either be right or in a relationship. So this is the very obvious consequence of our attachment to the need to have the right answer or the need to be right. It's really about moving into unconsciousness. Uh, what happens is it's just an easy way to be. It's an easy way to go because the other flip of that is to be conscious of our thoughts. And so it's the easy road. So being right is just simple. It's just simple, but it edges people out. There's this scripture whenever we hear that this bright light comes, Saul drops to the ground, clearly in awe of what presence he is in. But when that voice is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The one who had studied faith every day, who, who had studied and, and explored the concepts of God, couldn't recognize the voice. Who are you, God? So when we release ourselves to this unconscious thinking and give our ego that control and go into autopilot throughout our day, we edge God out and we edge each other out. Such an obvious, really, when you think about it, conclusion to judgment. But what about the more subtle? What about the more subtle consequences of judgment? Jesus um, says in one of his sermons that we are to not judge lest we be judged. And that we're not to pull the plank out of our brother's eye when we have a log in our own. It's a powerful a sermon that he speaks. But also the story that uh, we have of Saul, what's really interesting is this conversion story is so important. We hear it three different times in the New Testament. And the one we heard today was Luke's version. And then two other times in Acts, Paul retells the story to the full length uh, of this conversion. I want to read just one piece of his in chapter 26 of Acts. And when I had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, the voice said. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I had to look that one up. <laughs> I was sure our great teacher had a great message for Paul, and I wanted to get it. And it really is a powerful message that, that Paul would have quickly understood. And all of those in the earshot of his testimony guy. You see, a goad is a long tool with a metal rod at the end. And it's what the farmer would use to gently guide the animal to, you know, to go forward. And so if you're kicking against the goad, you're literally tearing your own skin. So what Jesus is trying to say to this proud Pharisee, Saul, Saul, if you keep resisting this, you're only hurting yourself. Your judgment is killing you. So <laughs> I have some props up here that I found earlier today, so I'm going to use them again. <laughs> Example log, <laughs> plank. So Jesus says, how can you even comment or notice the plank in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own? What's really interesting about this teaching Jesus has, kicking against the goad and the log and the plank, is what's really happening is we're fighting so hard to not address the log. That's why we're trying to see the plank. But really what's happening is the whole time, every time I look at the plank, all I can see is a reflection of my log. We put, 
and project our stuff on everybody around us. That's what our judgment is doing, and it's hurting and killing us. There's a book that many in the staff and the board are reading. It's by Mark Nepo, and it's the Book of Awakening. And he has a very powerful uh, another book called Finding Inner Courage. And in this book, I think he gives a really a great little example of this way that we transfer our pain. Somewhere in time we live in, she was one of many, too many, an orphan of war. Her story took place in Guatemala. Her parents were killed and her brother lost in retaliation. And three years later, this little girl, maybe nine or ten, was found pulling the wings off a butterfly, muttering, Pedrocita, Pedrocita, poor little one. The image has haunted me, for in her innocence and pain, she revealed and relived the knot of our struggle as human beings. What we don't face is our own. We perpetrate on others. I'm in no way blaming this little one. She was just a tiny angel sent to remind us. But it has worked on me. The struggle she enacted for us all, she, of course, was the poor little one whose young wings had been torn. And carrying a pain too big for her small heart, she was, I think, trying to alleviate her pain by acting out her wound on someone else. This, to me, is the source of much pain caused in life. Throughout time, the role of consciousness and compassion in our lives has been to help us face our own experience and demons to face the undiscovered country in ourselves. This is the holy war. Without the ability to face our own demons, we often seek revenge rather than feel what is ours to feel. For vengeance is a powerful distraction from accepting the legitimate suffering that arises in the wheel of life and acceptance that can make kindred spirits of us all. So now we've gotten to the heart of it. This is the real peace. We use judgment to keep us from addressing or navigating the terrain of our inner soul. Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, went off into the wilderness. And they say he went up to the top of the mountain and faced his demon. And he was asked a question that is asked of us all. Will we take that easy road, the unconscious way, or will we suffer and be willing to suffer with humanity and walk with each other in our pain? Jesus accepted that road and in doing so modeled for us the true way to healing, our own healing, and then we become healers. It's the path of reconciliation, the path of redemption, the path to wholeness. So the instruction from Jesus asks us to look into our own hearts, discover what gives us pain, and then refuse under any circumstance whatsoever to inflict that pain on anyone else. Compassion then can be defined, therefore, as the attitude of God, the one who came to suffer with us, walk in our shoes and set us free from our pain until we reach healing. Can we build a bridge with everyone we meet? Probably not, but I do want to give you some practical tools for your tool belt to help you address this issue and to make the soul makeover from judgment to compassion. So I'm just going to give you four easy little things. It's a little acronym. 
And I know those are kind of corny, but it might help you. It helps me. It spells dual. So the first one, D, is don't pass judgment. Um, I really wanted to start with an M because I think it really means mindfulness, but I didn't want to spell mules. So... (laughs) (laughs) So... Don't pass judgment. So um, we will pass judgment, all right? It is part of our human condition. We're going to do it every day, and we need it to actually know how to do right and wrong. But the key here is to be in a place of mindfulness, to turn off the unconscious autopilot and just pay attention and begin to listen to the judgments that go through in and out of our brain each day. This step alone will take you a lot of time. This is one every day. Just begin into the habit. Start each day saying, I'm going to listen, God. Speak to me. And listen to your thoughts and discover when you're having judgment and then ask yourself a few questions. Why? How is it serving me? Do I have all the information? (laughs) And then... And just pan it for gold, because inside that is a nugget for you. There will be something there for you to whittle away and address your own pain. This is the place where we learn compassion for ourselves. Do not judge yourself for judging. You will have missed the whole point. Hold yourself in compassion and be very gentle with yourself in this, in this place. And listen and pay attention and transform your judgment to reason response. The next one is understanding. So when you began to understand yourself more and understand the places that cause you pain, then flip that on the people that you're making these judgments to or toward. This particular uh, step, you could be, you know, you might want to try to have a conversation, if at all possible, with the one you seek to understand. Because the minute you seek to understand, you give up the need to be understood and you ask questions, you get to know the person, you get the backstory. And in doing so, you make room. And then the next step is accept. This is a doozy. Accept the fact that even in doing that, it is simply not our place to change people. Just accept them. Once you understand a little bit more, hold that, walk with that, journey with that, but accept them just as they are and hope that they do that in return for you. And then the last one is the doozy, love. This isn't just passive love. This is an active love. Love bears all things, believes all things, and endures all things. Don't put conditions on it, if at all possible. Just love. Especially those that hurt us and persecute us. Lift them up. Pray for them and hold them. So that's the four little steps. There's a... uh, drama series that I don't know if anybody around here watches, but Leslie and I have really grown to enjoy it. It's called Parenthood. And uh, we've enjoyed it because it gives us great little tidbits about being good parents. And uh, this Braverman family that we get to watch every week, what we learn through them that I've been able to apply in my everyday life is that they just hold each other in compassion and love and grace. And through that, they navigate crazy experiences and they transform them into great times of healing and, and joy. Um, There's one character, Amber Braverman, who's a high school, recent high school graduate, a little bit rebellious, and uh, and we find out through her storyline it's because she comes from an unstable home. Her father is a drunk musician, and between his inability to stay sober and his ambition, she just didn't have a very good upbringing. Her mom takes her and her brother and moves them into her grandparents' house. 
And as she's adjusting to that and being around the constant stability of someone's compassion for her, she begins to fly. And she gets a little internship and a job and is really believing in herself and seeing herself for the first time. But unfortunately, she applies to Berkeley and does not get in. And she just like reverts back. She just believes she's not worthy again and just, you just see her and you want to catch her, but she just starts sabotaging everything that's important to her. And in a drunken stupor, she gets in the car with a boyfriend and they have a bad accident and we see the family waiting in the hospital. And, you know, as soon as they find out she's okay, then all, you know, breaks loose because they all got to tell her how crazy this was and they're trying to get through to her and break through so that she understands or can see herself trying to get through the blindness. But all she hears in their voices is her self-judgment until her grandfather, Zeke, manages to break through. So, it's, it's all about. I want you to see something. Recognize it? Yeah, it's the car. It's Gary's car. Mm -hmm. Come here, take a look. Look. Yeah, I see it. Amber, you know, I was two years in Vietnam. Do you know what I thought about? What I dreamt about? It's coming home. We're having a family. Having grandkids. I dreamt you. Amber and Hattie and Drew and Sydney, Jabbar and Max. And we almost lost you, Amber. I know. You had some bad breaks. Not feeling good about yourself. Didn't get into Berkeley. Well, boo friggin'. <laughs> Yeah, suck it up, girl. You're a braverman. You got my blood in your veins. Now, you ever do something like this again? You even think about doing something like this? I will personally kick your little butt all the way from here to the Golden Gate Bridge. You do not have my permission to mess with my dreams. Are we clear? That's the kind of God we have. We have that blood running through our veins. We have a God that will never give up on us, that will forever pursue us and find a way to take us to the wreckage of our life and so gently tell us, 
Don't mess with my dreams. You are a child of God. Let me sit with you a while. Let me in my compassion and my ability to suffer with you stay here until you see, really see, how beautiful you are. That is our God. That guides us to this extreme makeover from judgment to compassion. Move that bus. Amen. Amen.